So that was a big lesson for me of, you know, okay, great, I have all this information, but how do I, how do I engage with other people in a way where it, it comes to life? Well, that's what I wanted to go to next is integrating head, heart, and gut. How no. do you integrate when you feel slightly insecure about what your heart and your gut is feeling? Yeah. So let me kind of parcel them out because I think it's great because okay. they're all three gifts and they're all three areas that we want to use. We want to use. The question is, can we use them all at the same time? Hey guys, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice, your behavioral psychology author. Thank you so much for choosing this episode. I appreciate all of you wherever you are downloading around the world. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Lisa Donnells. I think that's right. That is correct. She's the founder and executive director of Human Edge Management. She's got an extraordinary corporate experience balanced with her own entrepreneurial pursuits. Uh, she is the author of The Human Edge Advantage, Mastering the Art of Being All In. So we're going to discuss being all in today. Lisa, welcome. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. Yeah, we are many, many miles apart, but so aligned. I'm in Johannesburg and you're in? Basel, Switzerland. Nice. The thing I love about this platform is the fundamental ability to really connect all over the world. And it's the best part about having this podcast. I get feedback from people from all corners and, and I know they're going to enjoy this conversation. But before we dive in, to your wonderful book and your experience, I have a feature called Inside the Mind, where I'm going to give you seven questions where you can only choose one of the answers when I give you the options. Can we do that? Absolutely. Let's have some fun. Let's do it. Number one, dancing or singing? Dancing. Number two, these get a little more difficult, by the way. Yeah. Smiling or laughing? Laughing. <laughs> Number three, and you may have to qualify the answer to this one. Cappuccino or latte? Neither, because I don't drink coffee. Oh, or Chai wow. latte is my choice. I see. Not even decaf? No. You don't want to uh, see me on coffee. It's scary. Oh, wow. Okay. Tea? Do you drink tea? I do drink tea, yeah. Okay, cool. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Thanksgiving. Mm, interesting. Number five, meditate or yoga? That's a tough one. I'll go with yoga. <laughs> I told you they're going to get more difficult. That's a hard one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Number six, the beach. Or mountain? Beach. Mm. So you were you born near the water? I was born near the water. I was born on Long Island. And it's the it's the really one of the most the biggest things I miss living in Switzerland is the ocean. Oh wow. Yeah, you get a lot of mountain, right? Yeah. I get and plenty. Of, I mean, I love them both, but they bring me different things. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Number seven, finally, sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Oh wow. You you're like you have so much conviction. You, have you thought about this? Did you get the brief? No. 
I just, I mean, <laughs> for me, I'm not a morning person. So oh, I, I see, love the I sunset see. because it's, um, it's a moment of being completely present, present and a sense of oneness. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to go inside your mind. Well, congratulations on your book. Thank you. Um, is this your first book? It's my first book, yes. Oh, wow. This, it's a beautiful feeling, right? Yes, it's wonderful. Where were you when you got your first copy? I was in my house, actually, and it came quite late. So the moment like, I walked in, and my dog was sitting there, and I saw the boxes, and I opened up the box because oh, my husband wow. waited for me to open up the boxes. Oh, it was wow. such a special feeling because all of your hard work, then yeah. all of a sudden you see the physical book. You know, because yes. you've seen everything electronically, but to mm. hold it in your hands, um, I have to say it was it was a, a real feeling of elation because after you finish the writing, and you probably know this as well, it's a little anticlimactic yeah, because you're is. done and then you're like, okay, but when you <laughs> get the book, it's a whole, there's a whole nother journey that happens. Yeah. Who was the first person you shared a copy with? Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, a very good friend of mine who came over to the house. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And what, yeah. what I think is surprising, and maybe you you kind of felt this, is so many people, when they when they get the book, they really want you to sign it and write something yes. special to them because yes. it becomes, it's almost like a piece of you that you're giving as a gift. So yeah, that it's, was... Uh, it's yeah, that was a bit... It's, it's, it wasn't surprising to me, but you, you yes. see how the words mean something to people. And it's, it's daunting, right? Like you have this person, they're staring at you. <laughs> they're looking at you right sometimes if they're in, in the same space as you. And, um, you know, I think, I think for me, those moments matter because, you know, when you look at all the electronic, you know, e-readers and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I hope we never lose that. I hope we yeah. never lose that moment, right? Because it's part of a book. And the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this is, yeah. Writing a book is about, you have to go all in. You really do have to go all in Absolutely. to publish, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's not just, you know, the. I think what people don't realize with writing a book is there's three parts of the book, right? There's the writing and the research part. And even yes. the writer, as the writer, you're learning while you're writing and you're putting your ideas and forming your point of views. You know, and then there's the compilation of the book where you're getting making sure the charts are right and the layouts right, you know, and then you have the marketing of the book and the podcast. Yes. And so there's yes. three and I don't I don't I don't I'm not sure people when they pick up a book, they realize the three parts that go into actually making a book successful and touching as many people as you can with your message. I remember when I helped. um one of Nelson Mandela's granddaughters write a book. She had just found out she had cancer and she was mm. about to go through chemo. And I'm sorry, you guys can hear in the background, there are some sirens, but it's part of the authenticity of podcast. Yeah. I'm recording from my home studio today. And um, she, she found out she had cancer and she says, I need to write and tell my story. Mm. And I've learned that, you know, writing does something for you. That's quite personal. What did, your book do for you? I think for me, writing 
brought about how do I tell my personal stories and reveal a little bit more about myself? Because if we're going to talk about human connection and being all in, you can't just write from an intellectual perspective. You have to share personal stories about how you walk the pathway to get to where you are. Um, and you have to get personal. And that's not always comfortable, yeah, you know, so right. you have to you have to go into the vulnerability. We have a part on in the book about masks and what yeah. masks you wear and to yeah. share that and with yeah. with with the public is yes. not always so comfortable. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that was that's part. I think that was one of to answer your question. I think that was really it. Yeah. Well, thank you again for going in deep enough and. You know, for me, I want the focus of this conversation to be accessing your deeper self. And mm. I think the more I study the brain, the more I realize that it's just not easy to access your deeper self. There's so much noise and so forth. And, huh. and I think to kick off this conversation, I want to know, when was one of the first time you feel that you, that you accessed your deeper self? It's uh, a really good question. I... I think the part for me was allowing myself to go back into moments of pain and being able to be mm -hmm. with that. You know, yeah. um, I had done uh, in my 20s or third, no, sorry, in my 30s, I had done gestalt therapy. And there were moments where you had to integrate parts of yourself that hadn't been integrated. And I remember like leaving, I felt like the therapy started after the sessions were over. Um, so I think that's a part of going that journey. I think people underestimate that you have to be willing when you take the journey, you have to face things that may be not working in your life. But at the same time, the beautiful part of the journey is you also need to fall in love with yourself. Mm. And that's a special journey because a lot of people, like the first 10 years of my spiritual pathway, I was in the space of trying to root everything out. What was wrong? What wasn't working? And I made lots of progress. But what I realized is, is that the progress was limited because I still was coming from the fundamental place of there's something wrong with me. And then I had this magical moment where I was in a bookstore and this book, literally, I'm not kidding you. It was like it fell off the shelf. There was really? no person behind me. It just was like, this is a gift for you. And the did book you catch it up. or did it fall I on the floor? I did catch it. No, I read the book four <laughs> times. It's a, it's a book I highly recommend to people. It was a book by a Zen teacher called Sherry Uber. And um, it was um, How to Move Beyond Self-Hate. Um, oh, wow. And really, and it was such a, and it, she went into the psychology of what forms when we're children. And there were two really personal lessons for me in the book. The first one was that if we, that how to have compassion for ourselves, right? Really this level of self-compassion. And the other thing is, is that when we focus in on things that are not working in our life, where we see ourselves in behavior, to just observe it. Not to try to root it out, but in the process of observing it, it falls away naturally. So the rest, so the after that, there was like a demarcation in my own spiritual journey because then life became easier. Because I kind of went, if I knew how to do it, I would already be doing it. So yeah. then I can take a step back from life experiences and say, yes, I can learn from these experiences without beating myself up. And I think that's a big journey. It's one I work a lot with my own 
uh, executives when I do coaching with them. But that's a special part of the journey is coming to that coming to that realization that the the false self will go away when we just observe. Are you willing to share one thing that you experienced in your past that you had to overcome to be able to embrace yourself and love yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I and I actually share this in the book is when I was in the first grade, um, I had to overcome a feeling of shame because I wasn't the most organized child in the world. And my family, I'm probably the most organized, which my my husband would laugh about because in, <laughs> compared to someone who's German, my organizational mm. skills are probably not as high. Yeah. Um, mm. All of us. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was, I remember I couldn't find my homework and my first grade teacher used to dump my desk out in the middle of the floor and I had 29 pairs of eyes staring at me. And I felt a huge sense of shame wow. and, it's, and it stopped me from putting myself out there fully because I was afraid of being judged. Wow. And when did you overcome it? Because first grade is what, like six, five, six years old, right? Six. Yeah, it was a process. It was a process. And I think it comes back in different layers and levels. Yes. But I think first it's to be aware of that pain, to feel that level of shame and, and, and process it. Cause I think we need to learn to process our emotions fully so we can mm. truly transcend them and overcome them because I can't take away the experience and that experience has because the opposite effect was what I did is I became the overachiever because I never wanted eyes on me like that again so then it became a mask for me of being like know-it-all and the and showing vulnerability was not something that was comfortable and I had to I had to come to a place in my own life that I realized that vulnerability was actually one of my greatest strengths and not a weakness, yeah. but it took a while to get to that journey. I had to, I had to practice. I said, I would say I lo- I did a lot of this deep work in my twenties. Oh, really? Yeah. And one thing, and one thing I think is really key. Cause you, you asked a question about, you know, what, how do we, you know, you said, how do we integrate it? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing is I spent a lot of time reading and understanding and had this incredible knowledge because there's so many amazing teachers and writings that walk on this planet. And I feel very blessed that they've left their work for us to continue growing. But one of the things I realized is that if you don't take it out into the world through human relationships, that it doesn't really land. You don't fully integrate that, that ability to apply and turn that knowledge into wisdom. So that was a big lesson for me of, you know, okay, great. I have all this information, but how do I, how do I engage with other people in a way where it comes to life? Well, that's what I wanted to go to next is integrating head, heart, and gut for the purposes of going all in. And, you know, for me, I think one of the biggest challenges is not trusting what's happening because the heart often communicates ambiguous signals. The gut also, it's not a cognitive, articulate one plus one. How do you integrate when you feel slightly insecure about what your heart and your gut is feeling? Yeah. So let me kind of parcel them out because I think it's great to parcel them out. So, because they're all three gifts and they're all three areas that we want to use. We want to use. The question is, can we use them all at the same time? Because that's when you've really achieved the integration. So the head is this amazing thing, right? Because it has this ability to take our dreams, put it into reality. 
We can bring so much information into our head. It allows us to think through. It could work for us or it can actually get in our way, the head, right? Because yeah. a lot of the times we don't know what we think. So yeah, chatter, all kinds of noise. Yeah, yeah. Is so much noise. And we have to learn to master this head so the head works for us. I use the I use the example of the head when you think about a blind person, right? And you ask, who's in charge? The dog, right? Mm. The, the dog mm. that's guiding them or the person. Mm. And some people say, Oh, it's the dog. And the question, the answer is no, it's the man, because the man or the woman who's blind is telling the dog where they want to go. And that's like the mind. The mind can guide you and be amazing, but you have to decide what the mind, how you want, what you want to feed the mind with and how you want to keep the mind in check. So that's the mind and it does some amazing things. If we only come from a logical place, right, we're missing something. We can't navigate yeah. more complex things. Now, when I talk about the heart, the heart is the seed of who we are. If, you, if you're in an audience of 300 people and you ask them to point to themselves, Almost everyone will point to their heart. And then you ask why. Oh, wow. And I never thought say, about that oh, before. Oh, do That's it. It's amazing. And then they'll say, well, it's the center of the beingness. It's my beingness. So the heart is our beingness. It's, it, it, it tells us what we care about, what's important, what we value. It's all of those feelings and emotions that make us incredibly human, right? Mm. It's our humanity. And then the gut, I like to call our genius, our highest intelligence, because it's our inner compass. And it's very interwoven with the heart, because the gut, the intuition will give us that it, it, it has, it's so expansive, it allows us to tap into this collective intelligence that exists in the world. And we can tap into anything if we're willing to listen to it, if we cultivate it. So when you're, imagine if you're in a, you're meeting with somebody, conversation is getting a little bit difficult. There's some resistance in the conversation. If you can bring head, heart, and gut simultaneously, then you can navigate these difficult situations and you'll get more out of life. But when we, but what, what I find is people bounce between them. Some people yes. just ignore their intuition, which is a whole nother challenge. But mm. I see a lot of people going from head to heart without fully Doing that. And you can, you know how you can tell the difference with people when I'm coaching them is that oh. when I'm in the head, my tone of voice gets like this. It gets, it gets, it gets higher. And what happens is I'm talking at you rather than with you. When the mm. heart is open, I'm talking with you and you feel like we're part of the conversation. And even if we're talking like we're talking now, it's still intimate because the heart is open. And when the heart is open, the tone of voice gets softer, the pace gets slower. And this is when you know you're integrated. Yeah, and then you almost, it's, it's almost like, yeah, yeah go ahead. it's almost like you're dancing together, right? It's yes, like yes, you hit the nail on the head. And then if you add the intuition in, right, then I get such a deeper understanding of what you're really saying. Right. And mm -hmm. I can explore it more and you can explore it more. And then both of us somehow change through the conversation. We have oh, a much deeper it. understanding yeah. of each other and also of the situation in which we're talking about. And this is one of the things that I think is so important in a world we live in that's so bipolar now, right? Everyone is so polarizing that we're missing the opportunity to have really authentic conversations that give way to new possibilities, right? Yeah. That open the doorway to something that neither one of us thought was an opportunity or, or a solution that comes to being. And that's why it's so powerful.
And that's, I mean, where, the, work, that's where the birth of co-creation happens. I see. And your work at the Human Edge and your background for big multinationals like Novartis and you know the work you've done around the world, was there a moment where you realized this is needed because people aren't using their full personal power? And I'm sure it's been almost like a evolution, but was there ever a moment where you're like, I've got to write this? I would say it's a little bit different than that. So when I started my more serious spiritual journey in my 20s, people would come up and they would whisper and they would say, how could you be spiritual in the business world? Oh, wow. Right? So they they automatically said, these two don't go together. And I actually said, no, this is every, you know, we're all spiritual beings. How we express it could be very different. But on what my experience has been, on every level, when you have, when you open up the conversation and you use language that resonates with the person sitting across from you, they always enter the doorway. Mm-hmm. They always enter through because it's in the, it's built into who we are as human beings. We I have see. a quest, we have a need for meaning and meaning comes from having that walking that spiritual pathway and you can define it. It's not, it doesn't have to be a religious pathway at all. Quite the contrary. And that spiritual pathway is where do we connect with ourselves and where do we connect and bring our gifts out into the world? You know, when, you know, when I, if we were to line up a hundred people and we were to ask them, why are you not using your full personal power? Why are you not going all in? What do you think the most common thing would, would people would say would be? I think people would actually say, I don't know. Oh, That's what I, I think they would say, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question in a little bit of a different way. So I'm going to take you back to when I live, used to live in New York city, right? And I had to go from all the way uptown to downtown and it could be a, on a, on a slow day, it could be a half an hour, 45 minutes. Right. So I did a lot of observation. And at that time I read a lot of books, right. But I love people watching because New York city is a wonderful place. <laughs> yeah, it's headquarters watching. for people watching. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's a uh, great, you know, yeah, central and yeah. central for that. And one of the things I really started to pick up on are who are the people that were living and, and who are the people that were functioning? And you saw a lot mm. of people who their faces, there was no energy, right? They were flat. And there was this sense of not, not in their power. They were going by societal rules. And if we want to go into our personal power, because personal power means we believe we have a sense of self-direction, right? That personal agency. And in order to get to that personal agency, we need to make a fundamental shift. And that fundamental shift is we have to believe we're co-creators in the world. Okay. And that is a very important shift because if I'm going to take accountability, it means I create both the good and the bad, which Mm. means no victims allowed. Yeah. No matter what, right? No matter what. You create everything. (laughs) You create the good. You create the bad. And for people to make that shift is a big shift because they have to break out to what society has put the fence around them. And they have to learn to master themselves. And like we talked about earlier in the conversation, mastering yourself is not something where you check a list, right? Mm. It's, It's a lifelong journey. We're never yeah. really finished. We're always works in progress. And I think mm. that's one of the reasons why 
people have difficulty stepping into their personal power because they haven't done the work on themselves and they haven't really understood the power that they have to co-create. Wow. You know, when I think about, let's say, for example, you and I are working on a leadership project together. Mm -hmm. You know, if you and I are bringing your head, your heads, our heads, hearts, and guts mm. to the conversation, if we're co-creating at the highest level, what would we attribute that success to? Is it spending quality time with ourselves? Is it, you know, reading wow. your book? <laughs> what is the, what is, you know, for me, if somebody's listening going, all right, I get it. I get it, Lisa. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on this journey. Yeah. What are some starting points? What are some practical ways to go? I'm going to bring, I'm going to go, I'm prepared to go all in. I'm prepared to integrate and I'm prepared to go deeper in relationships. What are some starting points? Yeah. So I, I really believe that if we're trying to co-create, we need to first connect with ourselves. We need to grow our self-awareness. Um, Tasha Yurik in her book, Insights, talks in her research found that only about 15% of people have self-awareness. So oh, wow. we need to start working on that one because she she joked around in one of her um, one of her TED talks where she was saying if we just get it to thirteen percent we live in a unicorn world like if we can just <laughs> get people to grow a little bit so I think this sense of how do you become more self aware how do you leave mm -hmm. time for reflection I'm amazed in a world that is so busy right we're so busy we're so driven by activities we don't leave enough time for reflection. And I can, let me get, let me give you a, a personal story. That was really an aha moment for me this year is um, I have a, I got a new puppy this year. So I've been spending a lot of time walking. Right. And okay. when you go out a lot, five, six times a day, you know, I was listening to a lot of, a lot of YouTubes. Right. Okay. And I, I found myself by listening to so many YouTubes, I actually wasn't integrating what I was learning because it was just one after the other. And then yes. I remember I was in London and I was, um, uh, with my best friend and I was walking to the train station and I didn't put anything on. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, this silence is amazing. And I realized that when I was listening to so much stuff, I was really not in tune with how I was feeling. And I found this year in particular with writing the book, because it's so intense and working full time that I pushed myself for the first time in my life beyond my own limits. Mm. And if I had done, if, if I had taken that time for reflection, which I've always had, because living in New York City and walking a lot without listening to stuff, you process your emotions because you process by moving your eyes left to right. Oh, I see. But if yeah, you're listening to stuff, then you're not really processing your emotions and your feelings. So that's one thing we can do. Getting out and walking in nature is a wonderful way to, to process and to really get in touch with what we want and what our needs are. So, and understanding what our needs are, I think is another thing that um, is huge for me because part of that personal power and connecting to self is being able to have that emotional agility. Yeah. Really being able to master our emotions because emotions for people who don't know how to work with them, they're really scary. People have a real fear of emo losing emotional control. Do you feel as though there has to be a balance between, I mean, I find, for example, there are days when I want to listen to a podcast or let's say I'm on, I do a lot of long haul flights, you know, from 15, 16 hour type flights uh, back to the States. 
And I find, for example, if I listen to like a three hour, really, really long podcast, uh, um, and then I spend the next few hours not listening to anything, you know, finding that type of balance is important because some people, they really enjoy a good, upbeat, inspiring conversation yeah. on 30 minutes at a walk. What, what are your thoughts about trying to find that balance when you should not be listening and when you should be listening? Yeah, I think it's very personal for different people because different okay. people integrate faster. But I think it's if people can just build in 15 to 20 minutes of reflection time a day, that is uh, a game changer. I see. You don't need to spend hours and hours, but just 15 minutes checking in with how did my day go? What do I what do I really want to celebrate and what am I grateful for? What mm. conversations maybe didn't go as well and what was my part in it and what was someone else's part? Because that was also a big lesson on my own spiritual journey and this this self-development journey is you need to know when you engage in something what's your stuff and what's someone else's stuff. Because otherwise we can take things really personal and we can get yeah. tied in knots. So we need to be able to make that differentiation. So I think that's an, imp an important piece. I think the other pieces you asked about, you know, where do you start the journey is if you don't know yourself, how in the world are you going to connect with someone else authentically? Mm. You have to be able to open yourself up just like we're having this conversation, right? And be authentic in the moment and be willing to share some of those things in your life that maybe didn't go as well as you had liked or that you had to overcome. You know, when you think about sustaining this, no matter who we are, we can get off track, right? We there always, are times yes. and that's actually yeah. a good thing. It's actually oh, not okay. a bad thing to get off track. So one of the things that I like to, um, when I work with my clients, I talk about this difference between reacting and responding, right? Okay. And, and, and when we do get off track, it just shows us we're human. Mm -hmm. It shows us that we still have some work to do. So when I react to something, look at the word, break it down, react. I'm reenacting something from the past that hasn't been processed. And then when I respond, it means I've been able to work through that challenge or issue. So I always say, if you react, celebrate it. Guess what? You found a part of yourself. The diamond that's part of you still needs a little polish. So it's not a bad thing. And if everything yeah. goes well, if you're always in this state of bliss, where do you stretch and grow? Lisa, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of critique of coaches and so forth recently. There've been documentaries made. Mm. People have even launched out to tease and make fun of the industry because there's thousands mm. cropping up since COVID. Yes, that's true. Why is your work different? And why are you different? Yeah, so I don't just come from a coaching background. I'm a, I'm a research nerd. Um, so I like to really understand how does the psychological research and organizational development tie in? And I think there's a lot of coaches out there and I've, and I've seen a lot of great coaches, but the difference of what makes coaches truly outstanding is their ability to use their intuition and really understand people. So you can go through the process, but until you really are able to be objective and not transfer, not transfer onto somebody else, um, I think that's when your, your, your work is, is meaningful. I think the other thing about my work is I've made it, I'm really big on making things practical. So you'll see mm -hmm. in the book, there are a lot of reflections. There are a lot of yes. active, you know, 
activities in the book that are very simple, very straightforward, that can help individuals and leaders. So I think that's where my work is a little bit different because I, I integrate, I think the word for me is, and I take a step back and even at Human Edge, we're really good at integrating multi-disciplines to make it, so it might be behind the scenes it's complex, but to the client, we try to make it as simple as possible. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I took this interview is because I I really appreciate people with corporate experience at your level. Mm -hmm. You know, I've interviewed all types of people over the past nine years on this podcast, and I found that people who have a balance of their own entrepreneurial, independent experience, as well as corporate organizational leadership type of experience have a unique sort of insight. And mm. I really appreciate your research. And I want everybody to go out and get this book, The Human Edge Advantage, Mastering the Art of Being all in. Congratulations on this extraordinary book. My goal for this conversation was to give people a snapshot of who you are, the work you do, and why it matters. I want to close this conversation by asking you, you know, when people explore living on, you know, you helping people in your work yeah. explore the edge, what mm. does that mean deeply for you and why does it matter to you? Yeah. So when I think about the edge, I think about where is the place where we haven't gone before, right? So a friend uh, of mine once said, he was a big skier and we used to go out to Salt Lake City and go skiing. And he says, if you don't fall, you're not pushing yourself to the next level, right? So uh, for me, the edge is about where is that next level of discomfort that you need to lean into? And at the same time, it serves when you have this edge and you're willing to go into your uncomfortable zone. You can, you can use your gifts in the world that make a difference and have impact. Mm, and that's for me why the edge really is so important. And we were very, well, when we came up with our company name, Human Edge, we were so, it took a lot of bottles of wine to get there. <laughs> and when we landed on it, we were like, yeah, that's it. You know, when you that's just it. know, that's yeah, it. You, you just know. know. It's yeah. special, right? It's well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. And thank you for helping usher us to the edge. And to everyone listening, we really appreciate your commitment. Please share this episode with someone you care about. Until next time.